and welcome to the Listen Louder podcast, a place to have open and honest conversations around mental health. I'm Megan Gilbride, the host, and each week I'll be discussing various mental health topics with my guests. For the best experience, try listening on the Entel app, where you'll be able to see and access links to exactly what we're talking about. Hi everybody and welcome back to the Listen Louder podcast. Today I'm joined by Rupert who is a trainee in psychiatry as a speciality of medicine and all of the previous episodes on the podcast have been focused more on individuals and their experience with their own mental health but I thought it would be really interesting to have a discussion with someone in the professional sector to talk about the realities of working in mental health and to hopefully understand a little bit more about it. Oh, hi Rupert. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I'd really love to start if you might be able to explain a little bit more about like who you are, what you do and how long you've been doing it. So yeah, as you say, I mean, I'm specialising in psychiatry, so mm. I'm still in a sort of training process. That sort of started from medical school and then working sort of rotating around various specialties of medicine and uh, surgery, less fortunately. <laughs> and then uh, afterwards, sort of then subspecialising into psychiatry. And I've done sort of various different subspecialties again within psychiatry and sort of still at the stage where I'm rotating around every every six months. So mm. Yeah, and for people who might not know much about the sector, for me as well, like I was, I've just been asking you questions before we've been starting, that you've actually been doing it, was it for six years? Uh, yeah, so yeah. I've, I've, after sort of medical school went on to sort of foundation training, which would be the first stop in doctoring. And then after a couple of years, doing that in various specialties. I've chose and applied to sort of subspecialise into um, psychiatry. So I guess the general role as a trainee would be lots of face-to-face care with patients. And I guess more broadly, you're dealing with patients in what what we call secondary care. So um, primary care managed by your GP. And obviously general practitioners will see the absolute massive majority of of mental health cases and and, and deal with that care. So we deal with a, a much smaller proportion of that. And my role would be rotating around different specialties, um, trying to get experience of how they work uh, and, and working with patients with more specific needs. Mm. So examples would be an inpatient general adult unit for acute treatment of unwell patients. And then I guess other, other roles I've done have been in child and adolescent uh, care, similarly on an inpatient unit, but also in clinics which sort of specialised in of ADHD and, and tick disorders, things like Tourette's. So you're focused on like lots of different areas of different to areas. be able to hone in on exactly what it is you want to do. Y- yeah, yeah, the idea is to give you a broad experience um, so that you can hopefully manage or have had some experience in different things when you yeah. see people, but also to give you an idea of where you're most want, want to channel the rest of your career in yeah. because you you sort of, it does feel sometimes like a conveyor belt where you kind of are being channeled through into a more specialist um, role. Yeah. So it's got to be right for you. Of all of us, you know, I think out of med school, about half of graduates will end up being GPs and then the other half will go on off and do various different specialties and you've got to find out what's right for, yeah. for you and uh, as well as 
well, I think as well as what you're good at, because I don't think, even if you really enjoy something, I don't think it's fair to, to, <laughs> to, to say to that you'll be great at patience yeah. to it if you can rubbish. But, uh, yeah. So following on from the speciality, yeah. I mentioned in your introduction that you've chosen to specialise in medicine. So it would be a really interesting conversation to have with you about explaining a little bit more about the benefits and drawbacks of medicine and medication um, because I think it's a topic that definitely has misconception when it comes to mental health. Absolutely yeah it's tricky I I think there's always a balance Uh, sometimes I don't think the questions about the medication but when, when it's given and how it's given is I think often the issue sometimes it's not the right option to go down that line in the first place and I think it's about trying to get where it's possible, trying to get to a kind of shared agreement with, with whoever I'm seeing to try and work out, you know, I can sort of say what I've seen from my experience and then make suggestions and comments and hopefully build a plan together of what's going to be best. And that might be a trial of something. You know, obviously in psychiatry, there's various different things that you might use medications for. And the most common ones we talk about would be antidepressant medications, but also then you're moving on to you know, treating psychotic illness as well, yeah. uh, and that comes under the same remit. Uh, and then also, beyond that, talking about things like even ADHD, uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and, and medication for for those for often children. Mm. So there are lots of predicaments that come in, and I, I guess it's it's harder to talk generally about it. It's but, very subjective and too uh, down to the individual. I and down to the presentation as well. So. You know, say if we talk about sort of mood, low yeah. mood, actually, you know, we know that you know, there are different severities of that. And, and that can be really strange, I think, from a patient's perspective, because you're feeling a certain way. And then I'm trying to then put that into a box of, of severity and then guide you down what treatment might be appropriate. So I think that can be difficult. But if we look at depression as a kind of example and say, you know, antidepressants may or may not be useful, certainly when we look when the symptoms aren't so debilitating on people's function probably medication may not be the first option and you might then sort of be looking at other therapies and and uh, and that could be sort of self-help type things that could be counseling and then various different therapies that are suited to what's going on for the individual one of the other difficulties i think certainly in primary care um, Mm. is that it's easier when someone comes to you and there's there's a a situation and they're feeling low mm. I mean actually what you normally find is there's loads of things in the background that are driving that person's mood down and if you took all of those things away the mood actually might recover on its own you know helping someone sort out finances housing all those other things is difficult whereas writing down a piece of paper a prescription and offering someone a medication can feel like an easier option and, and actually sometimes for patients as well it's the same thing mm. from I think from a patient side of things some, some patients absolutely do not want to take medication at all and, and you have to do, you know work that out and see, yeah. what, see what can be see what's most helpful and other patients will come and actually I might be thinking oh I don't really want to prescribe anything but mm. for them it's things are so difficult that they want to take something that takes that away. With regards to kind of people's negativity around taking medication Mm -hmm. because that's a question I come up against quite a lot is that do you take medication and like how do you feel about it and I'm too nervous to take it and these things of it being a mind-altering drug that's going to change who you are as a person I think is people's main worry I think on a more like you said primary level as opposed to secondary where it is potentially going to be more severe yeah it would be great to maybe have a little bit of a chat about how 
that could kind of be broken down a little bit, that fear mm -hmm. of doing it. Like, because like you said, it might not always be right for the individual to take medication, but in the instance that it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah certainly. And I think part of that comes down to sort of public perception or mm. uh, and well, stigma, really. I don't think anyone would knock anyone for taking antibiotics for a chest infection. But when it comes to taking antidepressants, obviously it's a longer term tablet. But actually, I think there is a more of a thing about it. I don't know whether people assume that, oh, why, why can't you manage it on your own or something? If it, maybe yeah. it feels like, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, certainly med the medications are safe. Mm. Um, we know that predominantly. There are side effects as there is with anything. One of the most important things to do would be to talk to whoever's prescribing the medication because they should know something about it. Yeah. Uh, and, and you should be able to have a straight discussion about what to expect. I mean, in terms of how it feels to you, I've often found when patients have come to me and we've started a treatment, there's a the sense of relief almost because mm. it feels like they're taking a step towards making themselves feel better. They're making a step to say, actually, I've decided this is enough and how I'm feeling isn't okay. So sometimes I think there can be a real positive motion about taking a medication. I don't think it has to be a negative thing. Mm. Uh, and the other thing is that medication, you, you went, just because you're starting it doesn't mean that you need to be on it for life it's yeah I think that's the thing with it like conversations that I've certainly had with people and um, because I take medication for depression that say well how do you feel about being on medication for the rest of your life and I'm like well I don't really see it like that I think I do like as a human being worry about the fact that if I didn't have that support what would it be like again mm -hmm. but I think ultimately that's down to having the relationship with your your doctor right of like being able to say what do we do next or yeah absolutely and I think it's about having your own agency to also go forward and have the discussions and, and as you say having a good relationship with your doctor makes it easier to have frank discussions about your treatment isn't mm. it whether that be increasing reducing switching you need to be able to sort of say clearly and, and feel listened to and responded to yeah about what's going on yeah um, normally Classically, for sort of antidepressants, you'd normally say treat for six months after things have got better, uh, after a first episode, and then if you're having lots of dips in mood, then you might say sort of looking at more like a year or two, depending on how old you are. Yeah, and you've worked in a lot of areas within mental health, like we've talked about, um, and you told me that you're currently working for CRHT. Yeah, so we're horrible for acronyms. <laughs> it stands for uh, Crisis Resolution and Home Treatment. What that really means is trying to help people stay out of hospital. We talk about people being admission vulnerable. So we try and look at intensive treatment at home to, right. to, to avoid someone having to come into hospital. We also support people leaving hospital. So if someone's been in, an inpatient for however long and they're discharged home, then we'll try and see them in sort of the first seven days of them being at home, make sure everything's going okay, make sure the plan's in place and things are still settling down. Because mm. obviously, if you're better in one environment, doesn't mean you're yeah. gonna be better in another. And then a lot of other bits, I guess, will come in, will be referrals from GPs and from people who come through A&E. And a lot of that's about people feeling suicidal. Right. So that's part of the role, but then there's also another part of it which will be sort of the same referral pathways, I guess, but also then initial assessments and working out perhaps things have gone under the radar and then presenting in a way that's 
more acute and more urgent and right. need a, a sort of more active response. So it's a big team, mainly nurses of various uh, levels of experience um, and support workers. And then there's a few, a few doctors and then a few consultants uh, that work within the team. It's predominantly sort of a nurse-led service and then I might be then asked to see patients to have a chat about medication and we can have a chat about where it might be appropriate for them to be seen beyond. Mm. So we'd normally work with patients for maybe up to eight weeks or something. Yeah. But the idea is to sort of do an assessment, see how people are. We might then signpost onto what service is most appropriate yeah. and, and to be able to help them. We might look at starting a medication, see them for a few weeks and then see how that medication if that's had an impact or not mm. and then we'd sort of either say right back to the GP and and advice for going forward or whether we then refer into sort of psychiatry care right. community care or even inpatient care we, right yeah. so you said like it can be referred kind of straight from your GP yes like so it yeah. doesn't have to necessarily come through seeing a psychiatrist initially or it can be quite I guess primary concerns um, that turn quite quickly into secondary would that be yeah absolutely yeah I guess we kind of sit in the middle so GPs if you saw your GP and they were really worried about you they would make a referral to be seen immediately they could also refer you to be seen by a psychiatrist or in routine setting as well I think for the the crisis teams I think their targets I think it's even to make contact within four hours but certainly to review within within 24 hours that kind of um, that kind of response so certainly we'd be on the phone very quickly to the patient just to get a few more details work Mm -hmm. out what needs to be done as, as quickly as possible and for some patients we even have you know visits up to three times a day if they're so poorly we've got some patients that so unwell they're not eating and drinking but even to the extent of trying to prevent admission we'd still go three times a day support around meals or support with taking their medication might be sort of you know support for making a meal self-care things like that um, and that's kind of all in the process to avoid them having to be in hospital or yeah part of to avoid hospital but also as part of treatment because that would still be part of treatment if they're in hospital at home I think most people would want to stay at home. Yeah. I certainly would. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's what we try and mm. support. Years ago, in psychiatry, uh, things called asylums. So yes. all you know, patients with mental illness were considered sort of at risk, and the idea you put them in these big country houses or somewhere, uh, and, and, and it was about containment. And then there was this kind of push to sort of deinstitutionalize and then treat people at home, and that pattern continued. So... There was then policy to reduce the number of psychiatric beds and and then to push more intensive home treatment. That was deemed to be better better mm. outcomes for people and like and obviously the costs of treating someone at home would be lower as well. So yeah. that has to come into it in the system we work in. But actually, we also know that the outcomes are, are better. Are better, yeah. Um, and I know, like before we started recording, we were actually having a chat about some of the experiences that you've had. Um, mm. and the impact that some people have had on you. And I know, obviously, we're not going to be discussing patients um, course, in, ter- yeah. in, in yeah. depth, but it would be really nice to be able to get a bit more of an understanding of the types of cases that you work on and experiences that you've had so far. Yeah, I think if you don't have the cases last thing, it's probably not human, because mm. <laughs> you mentioned before, you, I think you're really in a privileged position as a psychiatrist because people come in and talk to you and open up, and there's a kind of expectation that, 
they are but the fact that people do that is incredible and, and you hear some you know really really difficult stories and the ones that are most memorable for me are probably some of them are more extreme I remember one patient I treated when I was working in in hospital in the acute inpatient unit and the mood was so low and she was having sort of psychotic symptoms with that so she believed that parts of her body weren't there anymore so a bladder for instance so she was just incontinent of urine and you try and talk to her and she just couldn't respond could barely move even her body just completely crippled and her mind completely crippled with with depression yeah I mean we tried various combinations of, of medication she had to come in she wasn't eating she was losing weight she couldn't look after herself it was you know she had to come into hospital we tried various different combinations of medication including antidepressants and antipsychotic medication and I remember trying to talk to her about the next options one was lithium which is a sort of mood stabiliser that you might add and the other one was ECT which is electroconvulsive therapy wow. and I know as you mentioned before people's perception of antidepressants mm. um, people's perception of ECT I expect is is even more polarised well yeah uh, I mean for, for you to say that to me like my eyes went big <laughs> like oh wow like that's that's scary yeah, to me uh, of course it is and you know it's even scarier when you know this as I say the description is lady she can't she can't make a decision around that she can't talk to you and communicate so actually those decisions are, are taken away from her so she went for ECT and the improvement was unbelievable wow. I could not believe it you know four weeks later she was walking around the ward she was eating she even smiling able to chat went out to see her dogs as well she'd really miss the dogs that was one of the big things so, and I remember just that obviously that stuck with me just for how horrible her illness was but also the incredibly radical improvement that she had and I'd not had much experience with ECT prior but seeing the recovery I was quite shocked yeah Um, I don't go around giving everyone ECT (laughs) ECT now it's not appropriate but I guess it goes on from what you were saying about antidepressant medication and how people might feel about that we all have these kind of preconceptions about different treatments different things and how you might react respond to that and actually a lot of psychiatry might be a bit of trial and error um, yeah certainly when you're well it's certainly first. not a one thing fits all is it yeah, absolutely, absolutely not, not. no yeah no. and there is clearly a lot of options out there yeah. that can be explored and that's yeah that's really interesting because i got i hadn't even thought of that as a as an option that would would be something positive do you know what I mean like it it does ring negative yeah absolutely but actually I I think it's important to say also that the madness of King George picture of ECT or whatever you you know that's all very different to what it is now it's you know you're you're under an anaesthetic you have a muscle relaxant and it's all in very controlled careful environment with specialists for all departments you have specialist psychiatrists specialist nurses specialist anaesthetists so all very specialized around it and it's um, very safe yes yeah Yeah. absolutely as a mental health professional Mm -hmm. something that I'm really interested in is working in the environments that you do how does it change how you feel about your own mental health and and how you manage it for yourself because I can't imagine like you said the responsibility that you have to individuals and the amount that you take on as a human being which you still are like there's got to be an element of of your own mental health and does it impact your mental health 
Yeah, I think uh, I, I've struggled certainly with at times sort of with what you take home from work and in terms of the you know people you see actually a lot of psychiatry and, and certainly from the psychological therapy side of uh, of mental health a lot of it is about carrying unbearable feelings people are coming to see a psychiatrist because what they're thinking and feeling is unbearable and part of our role is to carry that contain that you know, there were medications and things and all, all the other that was involved but actually what you're trying to do is package up really difficult feelings and sort of put it back to that patient in a palatable tolerable way yeah. so that they can go about and, and hopefully have a better quality of life so you certainly feel a lot of the feelings that patients have in that interaction and sometimes they also stay with you for, for longer there are positive ones as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's not always negative. No, well, I can imagine that it's probably incredibly rewarding yeah. when you're helping patients and seeing that development, like you said about the lady you were speaking about earlier, like seeing that transition and and things. But how do you manage the cases that are negative that are p- potentially a bit harder for you to, to deal with? I think um, if a case is difficult, I need to work out why that's difficult for mm. me. So there's, there might be something I've missed there. There might be something particular for me when I'm seeing that patient that rings true with my own experiences. Or it might be that there's a discomfort, as I say, that they're giving to me that I need to try and think about and work out what's going on. So I think certainly from my perspective as a trainee, but I think at any stage would be then to have a discussion with other professionals about it. As a psychiatry trainee, we have sort of weekly supervision with the consultant to talk about cases or different challenges and things like that. So I think certainly that would be part of it because there's normally a reason why it feels uncomfortable and talking about things out loud with a consultant or a multidisciplinary team can kind of piece together with a bit more clarity of why or, or what's going on. I guess the other part of how you deal with it is then trying to focus on and recall actually some really positive experiences. So I spent six months in drug and alcohol services. Yeah. I remember this one woman I worked with there. I mean, her life story was just horrific. She was similar age to myself and I think those things always mean you connect you know, there's a connection isn't there when there's similarities it's a natural thing resonates yeah yeah but well, you know listen to her life story like, you know life story in a sense it's 15 years old and a grandmother gave her heroin <gasps> and I'm like <laughs> you want to look at my life and that life I just like it's just not I mean I think from that was her first experience of heroin was being given it to her by a grandma and there were other substances she's taken prior but that was certainly the entry point for her but, you know, I got to see her through an inpatient detox and then also then ongoing it and when she was back at home and she was doing absolutely remarkably well. And fingers crossed that's still the case. But, I mean, I remember sort of so when I'd see lots of people and it wasn't going well, I'd be thinking, actually, no, I've got someone, I've got that kind of pinnacle patient that I can yeah. remember and, and, and that pushes you to, oh, it does work, it might not be the right time, but... Mm. there will be that's really Um, interesting because I think we so often look as the patient to be like how are we how are we going to cope and actually the people who are helping us are human beings as well and I think that's amazing how you are choosing to make your way through it and doing it in a professional way but also in a human way as well yeah I hope so yeah I think that's one of the that's one of the real challenges because you when I was at medical school, I remember a psychiatrist saying to me, um, being a psychiatrist is like a duck on water. So above the 
level of the water you have to glide smoothly and whereas below the water the legs are chopping away and churning yeah. so you, sometimes there's a point you want to get to and it's about doing it in a, a you know certain way to yeah obviously th- my previous episodes focus more on a I don't want to say light-hearted because it's not every mental health issue is very relevant and important and subjective but there are what you specialize in is that kind of like next step that next level of severity and like we've touched on previously that people might have misconceptions and not want to take medication on their first basis with their GP but you've you've said to me you you do come up against that as a psychiatrist that people who maybe I don't know correct me if I'm wrong but probably definitely need medication Mm. might not want to take it either yeah absolutely um Certainly, I do see the more severe end of the scale. But yeah. as I was saying earlier, you know, most of most of things are dealt with before they got to us. So, yeah, I mean, we see a whole spectrum of things, and, and you know, typically, a medication people often don't like taking is, is is antipsychotic medication for various types of psychotic illness, which could be schizophrenia or a variation of. Um, you can also have sort of those psychotic symptoms with mood disorders, whether that be low mood or high mood, like in bipolar affective disorder. So could I just ask you about that, actually, the personality disorders and what they look like, what they are, some maybe some symptoms of how people could recognise them? Yeah, certainly a lot of what we see in psychiatry would come under that category personality disorders. They're, they're subtypes. The most common ones we see are sort of what we call borderline personality disorder um, and antisocial personality disorder. But sort of talk about a bit about borderline, perhaps. One of the sort of primary difficulties is this variation in mood. Um, right. So we've all got we've all got a kind of window of what's tolerable for your mood and and going up and down's normal and sometimes that window can be narrowed so changes in mood are felt much more coarsely much more viscerally your threshold for it being intolerable is is smaller I'm not sure we fully understand what, why that's the case certainly from my experience I've seen lots of people with quite complex and repeated trauma and that can vary so I mean if you think about a child growing up with loving parents, a roof over their head, food, being engaged and active versus somebody who's had quite different life experiences, then you can see that as people grow up, their brains adapt to what's around them um, and their behaviour then adapts as well and their emotions will adapt. So if you've not grown up with love, affection, the opportunity to talk to someone, get advice from someone and not had sort of consistent support, then how you interact with people and how you interpret your emotions and feelings is going to be quite different and I think that may be part of this sort of narrowing of that window so that's my kind of um, probably very basic attempt to try to explain it but uh, it's it's certainly a difficult diagnosis to give to somebody Mm. and I think it can be uh, a difficult diagnosis to receive I don't like the wording the idea someone's personality being disordered it feels like I'm insulting someone sometimes but but actually what I sometimes do is go through the symptoms with somebody and they go yep 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 and and so sometimes it's a a relief for people to have an expert it can be an explanation and understanding and what that also can do for people is open the door to services that are geared up to help people with similar difficulties I think there's commonly a debate about 
how helpful a diagnosis is in psychiatry, but if it opens the right doors, then I think it can be helpful. Um, and the sort of services or you know treatment approach would be predominantly sort of psychological therapies. Medication can be helpful for sort of treating other things. So commonly people can have depression or anxiety on top and treating those there can be success with to reduce those symptoms. But there's not a sort of tablet that we can give to sort of buffer things otherwise. So it's about a sort of psychological approach to try and build a toolkit of of uh, of ways that you can try and um, manage that distress when it when it comes. And for anybody that kind of like resonates with the topics that we've covered today, and I'm I'm talking kind of like maybe on the more severe side of feeling um, mentally unwell, mm-hmm. are there any kind of suggestions you could make about how best to reach out for help? Like I don't know if that would be the same route as going to see your GP or or where you would start, or if there are other avenues that you can explore. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I know obviously we've talked about some more extreme end of things, but even people feeling even half of some of this could be really, really difficult. So starting from the the baseline, I'd say, you know, actually just accepting that things are difficult and talking to people you do trust and um, that might be friends or family and, and just trying to saying things out loud can help you understand them. It just gives it a bit more logic and you can work out how far away from okay that is. Certainly if you can book in with your GP and, and see a GP, that might be the next step. And there are various sort of counselling services that are available from through self-referral as well and other sort of self-help things, so various apps. Headspace is certainly one that I know about. But then beyond that, as I said, seeing GP. Um, but also if things feel so intolerable that it doesn't feel like there's a way out then there are other supports available as well talking to somebody on the phone that's independent of anybody you know can be helpful so Samaritans for instance that's that supportive call and then obviously if things are really getting to a point where they don't feel like they're options or you're not able to sort of cope with things then it's one-on-one service or even um, or even 999 or attending um, your local emergency department to talk to someone about it there yeah thank you so much Rupert I really appreciate it it's really beneficial for me as an individual to hear uh, insight into the more professional sector of mental health so thank you no pleasure hope it's been helpful <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate, review and subscribe. And in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at listen.louder. I'd love to chat with you.